<coughs> I should do some vocal warm ups. <coughs> me, 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 me. Uh, I think we're good now. Yep. Like the pros do. stuff that is the stuff indeed welcome back everybody to super duper stitious the paranormal podcast where we take a sciencey tack to the weird and the whack <laughs> we're getting into the hang of actually saying things kind of consistently now which yeah. is kind of weird it only took us 40, 40 episodes, episodes. <laughs> um yeah, yeah so this is episode 40 which is part two of episode 39 <laughs> yeah exactly uh it, we part two of our third super duper special, special report, report diving into belief in things that have been pretty handily like debunked, and debunked disproven. Yeah. um exactly also as this is our 40th episode our podcast is officially gross <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there go a bunch of our listeners. We don't have listeners, so it doesn't yeah, matter. But no uh, one wants to fuck our podcast anymore. <laughs> oh. They will if it asks nicely, but... 40 is... Okay. Yeah, 40 is uh, fine. Yeah. I was playing. Like, yeah. No offense to anyone out there. <laughs> no, I was playing. Um, um, so, I, I think... I like how whenever we get really lost in our intros, we end up inevitably <laughs> arriving at the stereo... Um, the stereo... Um, that, is exactly. our, that is our palate cleanser. That's how we move on. Now, that's what I call... Um, <laughs> in stereo i'm jake i'm wyatt and uh before we get going and talking about you know recapping last week and talking about stuff this week it's been rough lately i can't lie we've been having some troubles of various sorts life's just kind of a rocky road that uh doesn't seem to end gets rockier and steeper every day roadier uh, as well roadier as well it's true and uh you know with everything that's been going on it it was just i guess nice finally nice yeah nice to have uh someone reach out to us recently in an appreciative way yeah we just want to thank our uh listener nate nate for hooking us up with not only questions and suggestions but a fuckload of buttons a shitload of buttons they're really neat buttons we like them turns out buttons and they're on our instagram if you want to check them out they are just cute as some buttons something else yep <laughs> one could say <laughs> and i mean you you could even wear them yourselves if you simply i guess print off the page <laughs> and use like a pog making device <laughs> yes to get your old pog maker device i and, have uh, one I, you can rent it for <laughs> five pogs an hour <laughs> you get yourself a goddamn deal but yeah thanks nate we also want to thank friend of the show ben who um hooked us up with some dope beer today it's delicious yeah this is uh what florence farmstead brewery um yep hill farmstead uh brewery in mass and this is uh the florence it's a uh wheat ale it's got some sourness to it they're calling it a wheat but it does right. have that uh 
that delightful funk to it. Mm. They say to share the beer, consider it, and enjoy. And I think I'm in the consideration stage right now. <laughs> you have not enjoyed any of it yet. It has been a horrifying experience. <laughs> but I think once I've made up my mind, I'll have fun. There we go. <laughs> so thanks to but all yeah. those people. Also, thanks to the country of Finland. Yeah. Or at least one person in it. At least um, one. Over the course of the past month, we've been getting uh, consistent plays every single day, pretty much exclusively of episode seven of this podcast in Finland, in the same city. And we thank that person for listening and potentially memorizing episode seven. I'm not sure. Exactly. If they you... have moved on after a month of doing that. They have now moved on to listening to episode eight every day. So Maybe. if you do listen to this episode, listener in Finland, thank you. And um, we look forward to seeing your rendition of the whole entire podcast yeah. done from memory. That would be amazing. And if you are an AI, you know, welcome. Yeah. And yeah, thanks, Finland. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, I think we can start the show proper. Let's do it. So um, we're, yeah, we're talking about belief in the bogus stuff like that. Why do we still buy this stuff when it's so clearly taken apart, even sometimes right in front of us? Yeah. The topics we covered last week, Wyatt, you talked about the Fresno Nightcrawlers. Yes, indeed. I talked about this kind of obscure thing people, not a lot of people <laughs> have really heard of, but mm-hmm. it's... um. This like incident that happened in a place called Roswell, New the Mexico. Boswell? Yeah. Oh yeah, Roswell. I mean, Bos- yeah. Oh yeah. So do we want to just kind of go through really quickly what we covered last week? Yeah, sure. So the Nightcrawlers, if you are just tuning in now, they are strange beings, sort of bear a resemblance to pants. <laughs> they were caught on security cameras at homes in Fresno, California, and Yosemite National Park. It's kind of spooky footage when you're first watching it, but there are more than a few catches. For one, in each case, the video is very, very low quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no matter how many layers of technology, as we talked about last time, you may want to apply, there's no ability to gain any more info from what is effectively the only bits of actual evidence, if you want to call it, that we have of this phenomenon. Right. Further, there's not really any firm record of these things outside of the two relatively recent sightings. So, you know, typically real physical things tend to have a longer and better disseminated track record of sightings. There are those sculptures people claim are linked yes. to Native American mythology and stuff. Indeed, but um, uh, further scraping of the surface there and you find it kind of falls apart. Those are these, these sculptures Jake just mentioned. They bear a great resemblance, but they are in all likelihood just art installations that yeah. artists circumstantially or coincidentally uh similar so finally perhaps most damningly this shit been debunked nice not by fact or faked because they are professionals <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah it's been debunked in this case it was by your boy para breakdown good old para breakdown fantastic yeah. youtube channel Really cool stuff. Very fun delivery as well. Indeed. Reminds me of Mr. Plinkett's reviews, but of paranormal videos. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> that is so perfect. It's true. He uh, he is very entertaining to listen to. I don't know his actual name. That may not be ever listed anywhere. I'm not sure. But I do love his slogan that he lists on his Facebook page, which is also very Plinkett-y. It is what it is, and I am's what I am's. <laughs> but yeah, his his mission in life is to debunk all sorts of videos like that. He seeks the simplest answer for what are purported records of extraordinary and otherworldly phenomena, and employs the healthy practice of seeking what we might refer to in research as the most parsimonious explanation for these cases. That is to say, 
He looks for the simplest possible explanation to the question and accepts this as the answer until it's proven otherwise. So a quick example, uh, Jake, what do you think just slammed the door shut downstairs? A sudden change in air pressure or a sudden ghost? A sudden ghost. Uh, probably a sudden change in air pressure, Mr. Shell. Until proven spooky, my friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I highly recommend watching it, um, watching his videos in general. So to cut to the chase with the Nightcrawler phenomenon, Para Breakdown was able to almost perfectly replicate the original video. So he tells you the story pretty much covers the same base as I did in my segment last week. And yeah, he goes out and does this in his own yard in broad daylight, mind you. Hmm. But what does he do? He uses pajamas, duct tape, some wire, and some like hooks. And he gets these pants to sort of wobble across the yard <laughs> in a way that looks like they are walking. And then he just digitally degrades the video to replicate the original. By the time he's done messing around with it, it looks like it was filmed at night. And you can't see any evidence of his manipulations because it's covered up in the dirty signal. That's awesome. So, yeah. He's, and it does. I've seen the video, too. It looks almost exactly like the originals. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. And it was only his third try, too. With the originals, there was no time frame on it because they were making it out of nowhere so they could spend as much time as they wanted on making it look the way they wanted it to. Exactly. And he, he even um is uh, sort of sardonically talks about how you know, the first creature we see in the original video is probably the guy's first attempt to get yeah. this prank to work. And it does not look, it's kind of just it very, kind of just like, it drifts. almost looks like it's walking. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah. And the next one's like, boing, boing, just loping across the frame. Exactly, the classic walking noise. And so, <laughs> <laughs> if it's so disproven, why are we still talking about it today? Why do we have people real human beings with brains and lives still debating the hell out of this thing on social media paranormal forums and reddit threads well i'd argue it has less to do with the facts and everything to do with the credulity of the uncareful and sort of bored public we are as a species gullible as hell and that's part of what we'll be tackling today the paranormal and the dupability of pretty much everyone including ourselves i'd say yeah that's where we're headed today we're going to talk about gullibility and we'll talk about another thing which i'll uh I guess hint that once we get into uh some of my recap from what i talked about last week take it away my my good man so a mysterious object crashed in the new mexico desert in 1947 and a ranch foreman named mac brazel happened upon the debris he thought nothing of it because it was literal garbage until the world's <laughs> very first reports of flying saucers started coming in with a number of reports in New Mexico. Wait, that's hot garbage. <laughs> Brazel then joined in on the hype and revisited the desert garbage to find out if it might be one of these flying saucers too. Smash cut to the Army Air Force examined the debris, took it, and held a press conference in which they confirmed that it was a crashed weather balloon. Everyone wah, wah. moves on with their lives. 30 years later, <laughs> UFO enthusiasts were combing through old reports and thought that this Roswell incident had some of the signs of a cover-up. They then immediately concluded that it was a cover-up of a crashed alien spaceship and ran with that. Makes sense. Yeah. Then the biggest extraterrestrial-related U.S. government conspiracy was born. Mm. Uh, now, there was indeed a cover-up, but not so much to keep the truth from the American people as to keep secrets from the USSR. It was just about the type mm -hmm. of balloon Brazil had found. It was an experimental balloon, part of the top-secret Project Mogul, meant to detect upper atmospheric signs of Soviet nuclear testing. Uh, everything was classified to keep the Soviets from finding out about the technology. 
Then, from the late 80s into the early 90s, some of these ufologists interviewed a fuckload of supposed witnesses and got all kinds of reports about the, quote, real wreckage mm-hmm. and materials with amazing properties and bodies being found and oh autopsies my. thereon Sexy. and reconstructing the wreckage and flying it around. Some bonkers Dangerous. stuff. <laughs> even though it all seemed like a shut and then reopened and then even harder shut case, <laughs> these interviews made people think, Oh no, something really did happen. Mm-hmm. What I want to talk about today are those interviews and the interesting problems with them. But more broadly, again, why we as humans tend to believe these types of stories so fervently. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thesis of this special report. Oh yeah. Uh, both of these two ideas I mentioned as far as the problems with the interviews and also the, the believing and stuff fit pretty well into the themes of everything we'll be talking about today. Uh, but in particular, the reason for belief is especially well showcased by both of our stories the fresno night crawlers and the roswell crash so i'm going to mm-hmm. turn it back over to you to lead the way into some psychological digging into these phenomena yes indeed so what does credulity mean anyway credulity is the tendency to be too ready the dictionary defines <laughs> credulity is uh, the tendency to be too ready to accept things as real or true regardless as to whether sufficient evidence has been presented Hmm. Now, we'd probably all like to think of ourselves as pretty discerning and not likely to be taken for a ride, but it turns out that it's often just the opposite, and this can wholly compromise our ability to discern real reality from fake reality. So here are a few ways in which this happens. First and foremost, at its core, let me take it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Super Duper Stitch. Yeah, from the top now. So, at its core, episode one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> at its core, buying a lie is a failure of social intelligence. Social intelligence is a pretty broad term, uh, encapsulating our abilities to generally understand and process personal and interpersonal beliefs, attitudes, drives, and feelings. It is the knowledge of self and other. So when we're presented with basically anything uh, by another person, it's up to us to actively decide for ourselves whether what they're saying is sincere and true and what this means for us. So when someone comes out of the blue with a big fish tail, it tends to have a stink to it, (laughs) as my daddy would say. (laughs) He didn't say that. Um, What I mean is people are generally pretty good at spotting an obvious lie. But what happens when a person telling that lie believes it as true themselves Mm. or as seen in the better hoaxes what happens when a liar knows what's necessary to sell a narrative as valid and real so in general if something seems or sounds too crazy to be believed that instinct may serve you better than leaping in with sort of a blind faith that wow this must really be happening yeah um however when we filter strange and fanciful stories through the internet which is kind of like a place where social intelligence is pretty readily impaired um for obvious reasons a lot of what we see can wind up feeling way more legitimate than it deserves why because we are suggestible as fuck mm-hmm uh, man, it's just funny as we were researching this episode i just kept thinking about how you know we're meaning to talk about all this stuff in terms of spooky stories and stuff but it's so hard not to think about in terms of just the news now oh my god i know (laughs) i didn't use any examples just because i was like like, i don't want to i'm just gonna get really (laughs) rage blackout and 
We yeah. sh- can and should maybe mention that at the end or at some point. I mean, as you're listening to us talk about these phenomena, know that it absolutely applies yeah. to your Alex Jones types and all that kind of stuff Indeed, going on our, nowadays. Uh, our president currently. Oh, absolutely. In fact, Rudy Giuliani recently famously what was the term he said used? the truth isn't the truth or something like this yeah what a what an epitaph huh? and then uh tommy lauren or however her name is said tommy that Loren. <laughs> said that um truth is the new hate speech i think was what she said it's interesting this is maybe a bit of a tangent but i just want to write it for one second which sure. is that the current a certain section a considerable section of very intelligent people right now are and have been working towards that thesis basically that yeah. the truth isn't the truth that the world and the narratives within it are sort of there for the taking um so long as you just stick to your your read of it as hard as you can so it's like a rejection of objective reality and a total uh demand that whatever they say is true over anything else and it's freaky because it's so bald-faced in its in its like presentation there's no like covering it up it's not like oh what i'm you know maybe i'm saying this maybe i'm saying that it's like yeah so we we don't really talk today about gaslighting specifically but that's what's happening and it's terrible um yeah mostly what we're talking about today is more kind of a more innocent way this kind of stuff can happen where it's not necessarily intentional right and uh absolutely and usually referring more to spooky stories instead Indeed. of catastrophic things that can affect the lives of millions <laughs> for years to come yes possibly and almost likely without any way of ever recovering from it at this point but you know I need another Ooh. drink <laughs> <laughs> okay there it is it took a little while for it to sound like anything remotely appetizing but now <laughs> Who knew that uh, doing your own Foley work is kind of hard? <laughs> and if it's literally the thing you're trying so to Started so strong, then it just sounded like liquid leaking out of some yeah. kind of orifice. <laughs> oh, God, he's mm. hemorrhaging so much beer. <laughs> anyway, moving back to our general topic, you mentioned the idea of being suggestible as fuck. Oh, did I? Maybe I did. I can't remember. We got lost for a while there. Wait, if you say I did, <laughs> yes. I'm just trying to... Oh I, oh, I get it. I get it. You. Um, yeah, so the idea of suggestibility. On the surface, this sounds a whole lot like our friend priming. <laughs> that is, people who get basically hyped into a particular headspace are more likely to be ready to believe one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, one mm-hmm. example we often give is with hauntings, but really it can be any mm-hmm. sort of sighting at all. If you are already prepared to see a ghost or whatever, and then anything happens that you can't immediately identify or dismiss as otherwise... That thing was the ghost you were waiting to see. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's just a part of what this phenomenon entails, though. Generally speaking, suggestibility is our tendency to accept false information or wacky theories in order to fit our expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of it as the ability to find that things feel like they must be right. So if you aren't sure about something and someone tells you something that sounds like it could be true and it seemingly fills in the gaps in your knowledge, you are extra likely to believe this new version of events. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll talk a bit more about how this relates to memory formation later on, but for now, this specific weird thing is what we mean by suggestibility. Really, it all relies on expectation. Right. Do events seem to match what you expected would occur? Do your memories match what you think you know about something now? Is your knowledge on a particular subject unclear enough that new information might change your view? 
when it comes to the type of things we talk about on Super Superstitious, all the good, creepy, fun, spooky stuff, <laughs> suggestibility tends to lead folks to believe that they saw or experienced something bizarre or supernatural simply because their own experience is laden with uncertainty. Right. And after the fact, context results in a new, creepier take. Right. Think about Fresno. People are presented with a video showing something they've never seen before. There's a lot of uncertainty as to what they're looking at. It's fun and satisfying to make the leap toward the paranormal, so that's what the prevailing belief becomes. Think about Roswell. People are presented with an odd event from decades prior and a hunch that the government is hiding something. What could it Uh, be? Yeah, it's much more thrilling and, again, satisfying to think that the cover-up involves spaceships and aliens, so that becomes what everyone believes. In both cases, folks who aren't altogether sure on a certain topic let their minds be made up by what sounds or feels like it could or should be true. Science journalist Eric Vance even likens suggestibility to a form of the placebo effect. (laughs) His first book, which came out in 2016, is called Suggestible You, and it entirely deals with, quote, how the mind and body continually twist and shape our realities. Yep. Nice. Uh, when we talk about the placebo effect, and I know you're going to go into more detail soon, and we also covered it actually in our last special report, episodes 19 and 20. Indeed. Um, we usually mean it in a medical context. Right. But as Vance puts it, the core of the effect is, quote, when the body takes proactive measures to ensure that reality matches expectation. <laughs> I like that very much. It's yeah, very good wording of how that all works. And damned if our brains don't fit within the purview of our bodies yep. <laughs> trying to make things work that way. <laughs> So we're right back to priming again with that. Mm -hmm. Really, it's all a matter of what our mindset is when going into an issue. We try to always approach things calmly and logically. Suggestibility is at least less likely to take effect. But that isn't always everyone's preferred mindset, is it? No, indeed. Especially since we are er, often at our most suggestible when we are in, in a heightened emotional state. Absolutely. Good to always bear the skeptical approach in matters. But just as you're saying... This suggestibility lends itself very well to magical thinking, mm-hmm. which is another of the sort of big uh-ohs when it comes <laughs> <Yeah>. to <laughs> approaching strange kind of, stuff. Kind of is the preferred mindset for a lot of folks. Absolutely true. So magical thinking is a term used in anthropology and psychology. We'll focus on the psychological meaning today. Um, that identifies the mistaken attribution of causal relationships between actions and events. Specifically, it refers to the belief that one's thoughts by themselves can bring about effects in the world. That's the secret, Wyatt. (laughs) It's interesting because I think there is something to it as far as setting your intention clearly to Mm -hmm. stuff. But ultimately, you're just going to be doing stuff and you're going to be more ready to recognize a pattern or uh, a signal when it's there if you're if you're primed to see. it's priming again basically priming isn't it? And everything all works all together. at once yeah. yeah which is kind of the funny thing about it it's such a double-edged sword and i'll get into this in a minute as well about the placebo effect a little further too anyway let me continue thinking something corresponds with doing it is magical thinking so a great example of this would be basically the mental operations of anybody roughly between the ages of two and seven (laughs) so during this age we strongly believe that our personal thoughts have a direct effect on the rest of the world this is partly why little kids may feel partly responsible when a pet kicks the bucket and may attempt to do magic to bring that pet back to life i personally dug up two cats (laughs) it only worked once I thought you were from Mass and I was from Maine. Because <laughs> the cemetery I know you had to have used <laughs> would have been yeah. 
Another set of examples likely to be familiar for listeners, at least in the U- United States, could be belief in the proposed realities of the Tooth Fairy, Santa's Klaus, or the Eastern Bunny. <laughs> Sure, these narratives are playfully fed to kids by adults, but the success of the gag hinges on the validation of the premise as objectively real by the children involved. We give children a pass, of course, because people basically spend the first part of their life tripping out while they mature into (laughs) young adults. So we expect that the line between fanciful belief, logical reason, and objective reality will continuously vacillate between blurred to almost non-existent for those larvae. (laughs) Um, Randomly remembering right now a time that I was visiting family in Tennessee when I was, I must have been like five, maybe, I don't know. mm -hmm. And we were at some park someplace and we're up on this bridge or something. It was pretty high up and we're throwing a penny down into the water below. I was looking out over this huge like big pond and stuff. Right. And you know, made a wish on the penny and seconds later... All these fountains came on with a, a bunch of colored lights and stuff Were you in just the fountains. Like, and I, I fucking did. I remember, just, I remember just like gasping in astonishment at what was happening. Yeah, like when you're that age, exactly. you don't really understand. Like, oh, that was a weird coincidence. Cool. Right. Exactly. That's a perfect uh, anecdote. Um, so exactly, we get really caught up in that world, and this kind of psychological space can because i didn't wish for the fountains to come on i wish for something entirely different <laughs> your dream but it just was... happened i was like oh my god <laughs> that would be pretty hilarious if that was your wish though. yeah <laughs> you're like have three you can make my first wish was for the penny to sink to the bottom when it landed. <laughs> yeah you didn't want it to float <laughs> you also wished for the penny to flip in the first place <laughs> yes and then that streams of water would come up out of the water <laughs> So yeah, this this psychological space can and often does persist into adulthood to some extent at a time when logic and reason need to play a more focal role. So it's not that we can't have and even embrace our imaginations, but as Jake and I have mentioned before, waiting for crystals to heal your diseases <laughs> or not vaccinating your kids because they have God's protection, not so great. Yeah. Oh, um, man. Which disease? Was it uh, mumps or measles? Like both, I'll really, measles. As far as I saw a report today showing, I think it was measles outbreaks like being the highest they've been in a century or something. Like, it's just... Whew. Oh, my guys, God. Guys, come yeah, on. Come, 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 come now. That said, as Jake has already alluded to, the placebo effect. The Placido Domingo effect. <laughs> yes. Did I make that joke last time? I can't remember. I don't know. I think I, I did. <laughs> placebo effect is totally a real thing. If any listeners aren't familiar, Jake already articulated it very nicely from his reference, but placebo effect is the effect of a sham treatment on a subject, usually in a study where participants do not know whether they're being given the sham or the real treatment. So an example could be if Jake often suffers headaches and I give him a regimen of small, oblong, minty pills that aren't Tic Tacs, saying that they're an alternate minty-flavored brand of pain uh, management medication and not Tic Tacs at all. And uh, no, don't look under the taped-on label, Jake. That's It's from the pharmacy. Okay. okay. Um, I will take all of these. Is that the dosage? Yes. <laughs> An entire tic- <laughs> uh, box of tic- of medica- med- the drugs. Med-tac? <laughs> Med-tac. Med-tac. Okay, I think I've heard of that, actually. So if Jake's lucky, he may notice a reduction in his chronic head pain simply because he believes he's received real treatment, even if the administered dose did nothing to actually address it. But did freshen that breath to an all-too-kissable level, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's test it. Why? <laughs> <laughs> So the placebo effect is a very cool and potentially wonderful thing, but it can work both ways. After all, one can believe they've been given poison, 
even if they were just mm. given a few Smarties tablet candies, the shittiest candy in existence, and don't even try to convince me. Necco wafers, Wyatt. Ooh, also super bad. Yeah. Bit of honey. <laughs> What's bit of honey? Oh, man. You did, that was like the, always at the bottom of your trick-or-treat bag at the end <laughs> of the night. It was like these little caramel shitty things that only old people have. You're like eating the pencils that someone gave you before <laughs> yeah. the bit of honey. You can't actually buy them in stores. They just appear once you reach the age of 65. <laughs> oh, bit of honey. I don't hate those. But Necco wafers, we can agree. Necco wafers, I am in 100% agreement. And Smarties are garbage, but the Canadian version <laughs> of Smarties are good. I haven't had those. Those are like alternate M&Ms. But oh, they're even They're even better. They're superior to Although the m M&M. I forget that you also don't really care for sweets, and Smarties are pure sugar. I don't, sugar. but I have, a, I have a memory of the enjoyment of it. And a dabble do me. I still like them, but I just, I'm like, I'll gotcha. have a, a candy bite. <laughs> <laughs> I just bring around like a, uh, like a snuff box sized <laughs> bag on Halloween. <laughs> Single treat, please. <laughs> Time to go home. <laughs> right. Paranormal topics are ripe targets for magical thinking and an unchecked belief in any one can rapidly lead to cognitive bias, the co-conspirator of magical thinking. Mm-hmm. So cognitive bias is another broad term covering most all forms of irrational and imaginative as real type thought. We've addressed a couple flavors of cognitive bias multiple times on this show. Confirmation bias and framing. Uh, Jake, would you care to remind folks about confirmation bias? So I'm actually, I was distracted by I just I just started this new beer and it's really good. <laughs> it is really good beer. Ruby is from uh, Earth Eagle, our friends in Portsmouth. It's a Gruet Lager with rhubarb, poplar buds, and wormwood. Ruby, don't take your love to town. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> Heavy breath. <laughs> Ruby. I was wondering if you would not remind folks about confirmation bias. If that was off the top of your head, if not, that's okay too. You see an example of a thing you believe to be true, and because that example exists, you say, okay, well then that must be... Like How the, the re- rule the world is. I, one example I like to cite is people saying, oh, Florida's crazy. Look at all the ridiculous stuff that happens there. I mean, flamingos and the <laughs> lawn? <laughs> as far as crime stuff goes, all the ridiculous things Florida people do, oh my goodness, they're so weird. Florida is one of the few states that has like a completely open crime report record. So you can see oh. any, any crime that happens is just publicly available to read about. Whereas that's not true for most states. So those kind of crimes happen everywhere weird people do weird things all the time in every state we only see them in florida and so yes exactly (laughs) and so we only see the ones in florida and then each time we see a new weird thing in florida it confirms that oh florida's weird and so it just keeps making us think that that's how it works so the bias is just wherever you're getting more information from even if it's happening other places you just don't see it and wonderful examples so that can greatly influence your global perception framing on the other hand is simply the use of too narrow an approach and description of a situation or issue at hand for effective or objective consideration similar to confirmation bias if you're looking at a small subset of the available information just that there a is, small amount and using that to make a broader judge the entire yeah. broad yeah exactly um realm so through either or both of these lenses it's all too easy to build a world around oneself in which say 
Demons and monsters are not only very real, but are very under the bed. <laughs> this is fine and even fun as a recreational practice, but it's Except a- for little kids who want to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, try, Timmy, there are both demons and monsters under your bed, but... Uh, Just look at the yeah. evidence, Timmy. <laughs> Things go bump at night sometimes. It's monsters. Both- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and or demons. And or demons. <laughs> sometimes both, sometimes one or the other. Um... <laughs> Fun as a recreational practice, but a good idea to keep at least one foot on the side of rationality. In general, if you find yourself feeling like you're in some kind of horror movie and getting deeply conspiratorial or spooked, check to be sure you're not believing something into existence. Mm-hmm. And belief and the way you feel about stuff that's happening to you, whatever it may be, about any particular thing really has just such a freaking strong effect on our perception of <laughs> whatever is happening to us, <laughs> mm-hmm. our memory of it, everything. So when folks get into the habit of magical thinking or any of this kind of crazy stuff, you can be damn sure that they're ready to be swayed by any information that seems to feel more like what they want to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is called subjective validation. Ooh. And it holds true across all of our lives and experiences and everything. If only I worked on parking tickets, am I right? Or parking, <laughs> parking passes, whatever the park thing is. Uh, the Skeptic's Dictionary, which makes the strange choice of abbreviating itself as Skep Dick, <laughs> puts it this way, quote, subjective validation is the process of validating words, initials, statements, or signs as accurate because one is able to find them personally meaningful and significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this sense, it sounds both like the placebo effect again, think astrology, psychic readings, etc., mm-hmm. and like an echo chamber kind of situation, too. Uh, it's not just mythical stuff that we choose to believe because it personally resonates. It's anything we hold as a core belief. Uh, if you hear a story about a group with the opposite political views from your own and that story casts them in a bad light, you'll probably believe it no matter how far-fetched it might be. And once you believe it, it becomes fact to you. Mm-hmm. And that fact, therefore, is further supporting evidence of your worldview. Mm-hmm. The key word, of course, is subjective as opposed <laughs> to, you know objective that's why it's so <laughs> damn important to take a step back and really consider the facts but then even when we do look at the facts we have this overwhelming insistence on handling them incorrectly so this leads us towards the correlation causation fallacy which mm-hmm. last but far from least is the sort of maybe crux on which credulity can sometimes hinge um, if you're unfamiliar it's important to understand first what causation and correlation are. What do those things mean? So They're the same thing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's all there is to say about that. <laughs> um, causation is simply the relationship between cause and effect. If I push this glass off the table and it breaks on the floor... The effect will be that you will buy me a new one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I would be the most immediately obvious causative agent for the glass's destruction. Correlation, on the other hand, is an observable mutual relationship or connection between two or more variables. For example, there is an almost perfect correlation between shoe size and foot length. Shoe size does not cause foot length. (laughs) Foot length does not cause shoe size. We might base shoe sizes on foot length, but shoe size of six for one brand may be smaller than um, five in another. So there's not any kind of causative relationship, but there is a correlation there. So we can find ourselves trapped in the correlation causation fallacy because recognizing interconnected patterns is often a critical step in surmising the whys and hows of phenomena. 
This is a particularly seductive pitfall in the sciences, especially in my own work, as I found that incidental patterns in my data almost always explain why I got the data in the first place. Wait, I've, I've done it again. <laughs> but it's not just nerd-ass scientists like Jake and I. Uh, we humans generally get a great satisfaction when we understand the events or agents which caused the observable phenomena in our lives. And it's because of this that we are left vulnerable to attributing causal agency to patterns that are entirely incidental. Um, this is easier to do than it sounds. A quick example, driving a wheelchair is dangerous because most people who drive wheelchairs have been in an accident. <laughs> I was thinking of driving a wheelchair. <laughs> just using a wheelchair. I may have gotten this one from the internet. <laughs> driving, yes. Operating. <laughs> yes. One of I don't know if you have it. Maybe it's the next one you have. One of my favorite examples of correlation does not equal causation please, is please um, on me. There's a graph showing the uh, like year and it was, like, it was uh, graphing. Um, I've seen stuff like this. Go on. Though. Uh, x-axis was years and the y-axis was like, both overall average global temperature and the number of pirates in existence on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and showing that as the number of pirates go down, the global temperature goes up. So we need to bring back pirates to, <laughs> to help stop climate change. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's a great, great example. Correlation does not equal causation. If only it did, though, in that case. Be mindful, y'all. For sure. Always. Um, so that's, I think, in a pretty big way, covers a lot of the stuff we want to talk about gullibility today. Right. Which was kind of at the core of people believing in the Fresno bullshit. Indeed. It definitely also applies to the Roswell stuff, too. But there's another phenomenon at work there, which is the idea of memory. Memoir. Especially when most of the conspiracy stuff happened, I can't stress this enough, 30 years after <laughs> everything <laughs> happened. Indeed. The perfect window for... Fucking your shit up memory style. Yes. So, yeah, we've talked a whole lot about belief and everything, and I've more than once hinted at memory now. Um, there's a good reason for that. When it comes to information sources in the world, no reference library is more trustworthy to us personally than our own recollection of experiences. It's not how I remember it. You. I'm being silly. <laughs> but our brains ain't no hard drives, Wyatt. Or solid state drives or flash storage, fucking 2018, whatever. Okay, okay, no computers, uh, God. <laughs> I want, yeah, I'm not sure what the most up-to-date version of that is, so I don't... Uh, I guess flash storage quantum, and a solid state. Quantum gigaplex quantum. drive. <laughs> I want to start by just describing basically what memory is and the main types we're concerned with today. Uh, memory is just what we call our process of retaining sensory information over time. Mm-hmm. Sensory information in some form is how we perceive the world, and then that is what gets held on to. So we have the five biggest senses. Any kind of sensory information we experience, then we retain that information, and that is what memory is. When you think about memories of your childhood and stuff, you think about you know what you saw, maybe what you smell. Smell works really well for that, um, whatever reason, like that's strongly tied to memory. Uh, first off, there's short-term memory, mm -hmm. which is basically our immediate perceptual response, and it can be held anywhere from a few seconds to a few minutes. It's also limited in its capacity, too, not just its duration. A common example is trying to memorize a string of numbers. For the average person, there are only so many digits total in a row that someone can remember, um, in addition to the limit on how long for. Like any kind of data, the stuff we perceive has to be encoded in order to be stored. Mm -hmm. That's because, just like in a computer, the storage device, in this case brain tissue, <laughs> works in a very specific way, so the data has to be encoded to match that. Mm -hmm. At the risk of grave oversimplification, 
Instead of zeros and ones, uh, the information is encoded into synaptic relationships between brain cells. And this act of storage is what we call memory. Mm -hmm. Short-term memory is just a temporary method of storage. Maybe you think of it more like your brain just kind of like repeating its sensory response to a thing, letting that response bounce around for however many seconds or minutes before letting it go. Kind of the little post-it note style of yeah. memories. So like your initial like neurological response to seeing or hearing or smelling or whatever something, that response then is kind of repeated like, okay, this is what it was, this is what it was, this is what it was. Mm-hmm. And then once you're done, it just stops repeating that and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless it's moved to long-term memory. So converting mm-hmm. the experience into a lasting record of these data is where long-term memory comes into play. Mm-hmm. And it's important to note that I mean record here in the sense of record like a log of events and not in the sense of, say, record, like how mm-hmm. we're currently digitally capturing the audio of this episode verbatim. <laughs> I like that. And we'll mm-hmm. discover through the course of this episode, verbatim really has little to do with memory most of the time. <laughs> in- indeed. <laughs> long-term memory can retain a lot more information for a lot longer up to an entire lifespan and probably not longer (laughs) short-term memory is believed to be retained acoustically that is we retain the information Hmm. based on how it sounds what not in a strictly literal sense not like actually because that would only apply to auditory stuff and right well that means oh well people who are deaf can't remember anything that's not how (laughs) acoustically just means still true (laughs) but no. (laughs) no i'm just playing Uh, Not in a strictly literal sense about like sound specifically, but more just a superficial take on how something seems. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by how something sounds, regardless of the sense actually being used. So it can apply to touch, it can apply to whatever. So if you're trying to, oh, especially touch. (laughs) We'll save that for super duper stitches after dark. (laughs) Dark, yes. So if you're trying to remember a list of words, for example, uh, you'll have a hard time remembering the order of a string of rhyming words and then a string of non-rhyming words because they'll all kind of sound the same. In this mm. case, it is still kind of sad, but if you're reading it, it's still the impression you get from each word vowel-wise, like the data you know that represents like the particular way that word is said. It vowels up the water, basically. Yeah. So if it, if it seems too, too similar then you'll have a harder time remembering it than things that are more unique from each other. So when we say acoustically, we mean just kind of superficially. Mm -hmm. Long-term memory, however, is believed to be stored semantically. We are able to hold on to the core concept of what something is as opposed to the superficial take that we use for a short term. In this case, it's harder to hold on to a long-term memory of, uh, say, the order of a bunch of words with the same definition. So Mm. I think the example I saw was like big, large, grand. Like To try and remember the order of a bunch of words that mean the same thing, it's Mm -hmm. much harder to remember that long-term because the concept is the same for all of them. I see. So So it's like you basically see the folder that holds all those words more so than the words themselves. Yeah, so long-term memory tends to be stored in terms of just the actual concept of what it is we're experiencing. That's why we have a lot of emotional memories, because emotion itself is like you feel kind of the heart, no pun intended, of what it was that happened to you, and that, as a result, gets kind of stored exactly as is, because that was the whole like crux of your experience. Right, right. I don't want to get too bogged down here. I know there are other definitions of a bunch of different types of memory and stuff. You're I doing imagine. a good job, though. Um, there's a lot more theory and explanation about how all this works than I'm even scratching the surface of. Mostly, I just wanted to cover the basics of what memory even is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, goddamn, last time we did one of these, I had to define energy, and now I'm defining <laughs> memory. 
So I've pissed off a bunch of physicists and now also neurologists and psychologists. That's right. They're they're too busy being nerds to listen to podcasts anyways, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> not us. We're yeah, that's we're right. too busy being nerds to, to yeah, not do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway, tell us about how this shit pertains to people believing stuff. What? Well, what I would like to talk about now is that there is a big issue with memories, and that's mm-hmm. that they fade. Oh yeah. Hard. So folks refer to the fading of memories as transients. So when memories are being stored and solidified, but before they've been retrieved, details tend to leak. So in relatively little time, the details of a freaky but otherwise easily explained experience can become blurred, leaving just the emotional core, as Jake has just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, of the event. And if you were to feed in a few new crucial details, you might just have... Neutral details, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you, uh, let me see, where am I? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, you might just have retroactive interference, hmm. which is supposed to be passing the ball. Oh. Already back to you. Oh, yeah, that's the name of my next thing. <laughs> <laughs> In the future, when I stare at you and take my penis out like that, it means okay, that it's makes your sense. turn. No, it's late. Just point it at me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, feed in a few new crucial details, and you might just have retroactive interference mm-hmm. retroactive interference is when you learn new false details and they can get in the way of recalling less thrilling facts about a situation so sometimes we misremember stuff or just flat out don't remember stuff learn more about the event or whatever in question down the road and then have those blanks neatly filled for us by accurate information mm-hmm. that can happen sometimes but a whole lot of the time <laughs> a, a whole new context accompanies the new information Maybe right. supplied by whoever's offering that information. Maybe supplied by overall circumstances surrounding whatever we're trying to remember. This is related to suggestibility in the sense of once again involving filling in the gaps with just whatever. Right. I uh, want to return for a moment to Roswell. I mentioned that there were many, many witnesses, but that there was a problem there. Uh, this article by Kyle K. Korf. Are you fucking kidding I'm me? I'm not. Or as his friends call him. The old KKK. Oh my um, god. Cal K. Korf? With two Fs. Unless it's a pen name, which he just kind of like got the inspiration from J. Jonah Jameson. I don't know. Is it K just the letter K? Yeah. Uh, writing for the Skeptical Inquirer, he lays it out. Quote, A careful reading of Bill Moore and Charles Berlitz's Roswell incident reveals that despite the impressive claim of having interviewed more than 70 witnesses, the testimonies of just 25 people are presented. Out of these 25, only seven of them are first-hand sources who claim to have seen the alleged saucer debris, and one of these accounts is suspect. Of these seven people, however, only five claim to have actually handled the material personally, Mm -hmm. and one of them is adamant that it was not from an extraterrestrial spacecraft. (laughs) The remainder of the professed witnesses cited in the Roswell incident are either second-hand sources, whose testimonies constitute hearsay, or people who saw no wreckage at all, or were never present at the so-called debris field during the critical time. In other words, they are not actual witnesses in the true sense of the word. Yeah, right. So part of the problem is that the witnesses are mostly garbage. But another part of the problem is (laughs) that it actually was just garbage. Another part of the problem is that everyone being interviewed on the incident was being interviewed by a ufologist with an agenda. And by the time this was happening, decades after the actual event, mm-hmm. that agenda was the only contact left. Mm-hmm. So here's where we there get kind of yeah retroactive shit happening to them. <laughs> As a result, people either wanted their 15 minutes of fame and would say whatever, 
mm-hmm. or in many cases, they came to retroactively but genuinely believe that they had experienced something truly weird. And a run-in with a weird thing can have its own kind of effect on memory, can't it, Wyatt? Yes, indeed it can. This indeed is all made worse when you add in stress to the equation. So when we suspect we've experienced something strange, particularly if that something was stressful or terrifying, our ability to encode that memory will be severely impaired. Mm -hmm. So this goes beyond just having been scared. Uh, Stress affects memory encoding at the molecular level. When we're stressed, we struggle to effectively form short-term memories and to turn those memories into long-term narratives. Mm. This is why eyewitness testimony, as Jake has just mentioned, is so unreliable. Folks are certain they experienced a situation in a certain way, but are often very wrong about critical details. Paint this with a paranormal brush, such as with the Roswell situation, and it's not long before a scared person in the woods, for instance, thinks they saw a Sasquatch, a ghosty, a ghoulie. A UFO landing. <laughs> Aliens being dragged away. All the same night. All the same night. <laughs> and to think that they saw it on Mulberry all, Street. All the same home goods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, memory is a weird ass thing. Uh, it's perceived <laughs> as a recollective process, but it's in fact a constructive one. Uh, memory fabrication is pretty much how it goes for a lot of stuff. We aren't capable of just like recording all sensory information from a moment and then saving those data somewhere in our brain. Uh, like I said earlier, we're less saving data to a writable disk than we are making a disk and then saving a text document with notes on what the data actually were. <laughs> that is very nice. <laughs> uh, usually this doesn't have particularly dire effects on our lives or um, on our perceptions of reality. <laughs> uh, mainly it becomes a problem when you fabricate a ghoul penis. <laughs> Barbie wants to explain this statement uh, uh, nose, in the nose, but most of me wants to just kind of leave it. Let's just leave it. Yeah, I don't know. I listened to really any number of previous episodes, and it'll, it'll make perfect sense. You guys will understand. So because our brains aren't quite the same as machines, we end up with straight-up false memories. And that's where I want to kind of conclude today. Uh, let's take one last look at Roswell. and Hopefully we as a human species can have this be our last look at Roswell. Put this thing to bed. Yes. Corf's Skeptical Inquirer article has an excellent breakdown of the accounts of the few remaining witnesses. You oh, know, is this KKK again? Yeah, yes. Uh, Triple so the, K. The, f- the few remaining witnesses after, you know, the hugely inflated number was whittled down to seven <laughs> or so. Seven or so um, spurious, extremely oh, questionable yeah. witnesses. Well, it went from, like, some people even saying there were, like, hundreds of witnesses. But it's just, like, anyone who wanted to talk about Roswell was considered a witness. I wonder how much that is in the same case with the uh, Veronese alien incident i wouldn't be surprised it's going back a few episodes now but uh cool stuff we'll link to his talk about that it's pretty cool stuff i encourage listeners to check it out and see just how nonsensical the real the whole conspiracy really was like seeing someone's report versus like like after being able to fact check their report and comparing it to what they're saying and it's just like wow mm-hmm. how how did we get where we got mm-hmm. um, corpse corpse uh stuff car 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 cough Yep. What I really want to talk about is how all this could have happened. Right. It's kind of the point of this whole special report. How do we believe this stuff at all? Like, right. How do we get there? If it seems, in retrospect, so obvious, so obviously fake or so obviously wrong, why are we still talking about exactly? It? It's true that plenty of folks made shit up because they knew it was what the interviewers wanted to hear. In the case of Roswell, but anyone can give a completely honest account and still be totally wrong. 
The History Channel's show Unsolved History examined this with a fun little experiment on an episode back in 2003. Hmm. If I ever track a reliable version of it down in video form, I'll without a doubt mention it on the podcast later on. Awesome. I know I've mentioned this experiment on, you know, I mentioned it last week because, or last episode because it was pertinent. I mentioned it on a previous episode too because it's just... It's a really interesting case that stuck with me when I watched it the first time. Mm. A group of people was taken on a supposed nature hike in the desert Hmm. and given helmet cameras. Mm -hmm. At some point along the hike, there was an armed military-looking guard by the edge of the path and some debris well behind him, just just barely visible over a dune. The hikers were basically just asked to keep on moving, and they completed the hike. A few weeks later, they were interviewed about the nature walk they had been on. I think the premise of the experiment was like that they were taking part in the pilot for some kind of travel show mm-hmm. that kind of explained the cameras and the subsequent interviews and all that stuff to right right and make shake them off the idea of like oh something weird's going on here it's like oh no you guys are doing a travel show yeah you just incidentally saw that shit yeah now the production crew of unsolved history knew exactly what debris was in the desert because they had put it there uh, it was basically <laughs> just some chunks of metal and some foil not too different from what you'd expect if a weather balloon had crashed mm-hmm. they also knew how the guard had behaved toward the group because he was an actor they had hired specifically for that. He told them some jokes, tied them a balloon animal, and <laughs> told them to get on the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, the helmet cameras even confirmed exactly what individuals would have seen on the day and could be compared to what they claimed in their interviews. Mm-hmm. The simple presence of the armed guard, coupled with the curiosity of what was going on there, handily tapped into the witnesses' suggestibility, mm-hmm. even without anyone saying anything to them about what happened or coming at them with a UFO agenda. Just the experience itself was enough to suggest stuff to them. Like, oh, right. what's going on? I mean, right. general cultural knowledge of the Roswell incident and stuff like that may have also featured into it. But in general, they weren't given additional information to believe anything further than what they decided to believe on their own. Still potentially another good example of how a lie can tell itself exactly, in a lot of cases. Exactly. Uh, some claimed to have been threatened by the guard which did not happen. <laughs> others claimed to have seen much more elaborate wreckage than what was there, and others even claimed to have seen bodies in the wreckage. Um, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, people just wanting to believe stuff, and uh, some of these ideas may have taken hold in the moment, but many likely developed over time as they thought about what had mm-hmm. happened to them, and most were earnest beliefs. They weren't right, trying to make right. sure that, because they already knew they were on a TV show. They, I mean, they could have still wanted to make There's their, their story more sensational. Yeah. But the fact is they had to reconstruct and re-reconstruct this memory over and over to yes, build exactly. in these details. And this is only a few weeks after the event. Imagine it being decades later and the person interviewing right. you wanting a particular story to be true. Right, leading you into it. So this persistence of wrong memory, so like extra melty clocks, I don't know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is better examined in a study by cognitive psychologist Ulrich Neisser. Fully fluid clocks. (laughs) I'll wreck nicer while teaching at Emory, and I'll end with this. His main area of interest was flashbulb memories, or uh, memories of shocking, intense, traumatic, or otherwise strongly effective events, which, as he put it, are, quote, so exciting emotionally as almost to leave a scar upon the cerebral tissues. Mm. So just things that have a really strong effect on you and make you just, you will remember them. They're just kind of burned into your memory. Yeah. Yeah. So with like post traumatic stress disorder type, not even that extreme. Just like something, even. something very major happens and you remember it. You just like just instantly, instantly encode that shit. Yes, hardcore. So, sounds kind of like some of the stuff we talk about on the show. Maybe indeed, yeah. Uh, well, he you ha- know, you might say, you might say, yeah. 
He handed out a questionnaire to one of his classes in 1986, asking all 106 students to detail where they were when they found out about the Space Shuttle Challenger explosion, which mm. had happened earlier that year. It was the most recent kind of event like that. Right. And how they found out, who they were with, etc. He kept all the responses, and then two years later, before they graduated, handed out the same questionnaire again for the same students to fill out. Mm. He then compared the students' first responses to their second, and they frequently were way the fuck off. Hmm. This is a good example of this kind of phenomenon because they were on a TV show. They weren't doing anything that would lead them to have so any reason to benign. embellish. It was like a tragedy that didn't happen to them. Right. What do you remember about it? Two years later, what do you remember about it? They're like, I and was on the fucking station. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, someone remembering he was with like his mom and stuff when they saw it on the news. He was actually away, like, um, just he was on campus in college at the time. Like, he wasn't actually. Hmm. People were remembering things completely incorrectly because they just at some point get it in their head. The nearest thing I can think of for us would be 9 11. Yeah. And right. I do remember where I was mostly because I remember it was a Tuesday. Yeah. And so like, oh, and it happened in the morning. And so I remember. It was more looking at it after the fact. It's like, oh, where I was when it actually happened. Oh well, I was in math class, um, right. doing a thing, and I was in a, I was in an advanced math class. Uh, so I was fucking by, nerd. I was by myself. <laughs> you were in class <laughs> I was of totally one. Totally by myself with a teacher, <laughs> and uh, so I was there doing that. Were they teaching um, you addition? <laughs> mostly sixth grade. Yeah, I was. I hadn't really gotten <laughs> aggressive on that by You're then. Like, this is the number one. Oh, okay. Right. So when people were talking about nine eleven, when people were talking about nine eleven afterward, I was like, I don't know what these words mean. What nine eleven? <laughs> <laughs> Those are two ones, as far as I know. No. Yeah. Um, nine one one. I do remember where I was when we were actually told about it. it was later that day, like in the early afternoon, um, when we we're all together in our classroom. Our right. teacher like sat us down and said, "Okay." So this thing just happened, and I right. think we got we got let out early, and then we're yeah. seeing just on the news, just on a constant cycle for the rest of the day, what had happened, and I was like, oh shit! Like, it, it, so when it actually happened, I had no idea, and for several hours, still had no idea. Yeah, but I could easily have remembered being like sat down in the classroom and being told by my teacher, oh, you know, this just happened, but I happened to remember, no, actually, when it happened, I was doing something else, and then hours later, I was told. I so, was. It's yeah. pretty easy for your memories to get scrambled pretty early. You talked a couple different times now. I keep asking about it because it's a great story about um, having a dream about aliens like being outside your oh, window. Oh, yeah. That it's, shit is... It's so scary. And how it would be so easy to remember it Absolutely. as actually having happened if it weren't and, so extreme. And honestly, but, if I if I did not engage the part of my mind that goes, that was probably a dream, mm -hmm. it feels like a memory. Totally. It absolutely does. So, I mean, that, that's a more extreme example of something, but just any kind of little detail about the facts of an event can get kind of just jumbled around over time, and you'll totally misremember stuff. Ask anyone in your immediate family how something happened when you were a child. Like, you'll have a specific idea of exactly what happened. They'll have a completely different idea of how it happened. Right. And you'll both insist that the other is completely wrong and misremembering right. it, and you're probably both wrong. <laughs> right. And yet, for each of you... It will be your own reality. Absolutely. That you, and this is where we get snared in the current political world. Yes, because everyone. Dare we take yeah. it back there? I think our listeners know enough about it. We don't, we, I don't know, this show. Well, I guess, I mean, I know for myself for 9-11. Um, were you in eighth grade at the time? Or I was in eighth grade, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, some kid had heard, a few a few kids had heard that morning because they showed up late and, um. All the teachers were basically in a panic to try to not let us know what had happened. Um, yeah, it was a big fucking deal. And then they just sent us home. Because, yeah, we've now, both of us have lived longer in a post-9-11 world than in a pre, which is what crazy. <laughs> no way. Yeah. 
So you had 13 years before and oh 17 God. after. Yeah. Wow. So I don't even remember what it's like to fly on a plane <laughs> before that happened. Holy shit, like, yeah. I was like, it must have been so easy. Did I got to keep my shoes on? Didn't what? even have seats before that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, the idea is that, uh, yeah, so that's an example of a flashbulb memory. And how, yeah, it, 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 <laughs> that it, all was an example. All of it was an example. <laughs> um, our memory of talking about this just now was a flashbulb memory. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, the kind of event that can be that sort of memory and how you remember it, you absolutely remember it, like no question, you know what was happening. And then you, just, things turn out to be totally, totally wrong later on because you just, it's so tied to emotion, less tied to actual details of the specifics of what was happening that you can't necessarily remember exactly what was going on Mm -hmm. for any kind of story you can look back and then just be wrong yeah turns out so that sort of fallibility of one's memory combined with our guaranteed tendency to basically fall for shit yeah makes for a very strong brew that can make it easy to fall for almost anything you hear or see so pretty much whether it be a uh, crazy government conspiracy or some disembodied pants disembodied pants exactly and uh yeah so just be on your guard just try and dig deeper into whatever information you have coming at you and try and find out what really is going on that can help you in any <laughs> context. The more you question stuff, the more likely you are to just have a better life. <laughs> it turns out, and sometimes people can feel like, well, what do I do to know what is actually real? You know, if I read a source and it tells me one thing, how am I supposed to understand if that's real or not? Well, replication my friends yes replication try different it takes sources more work, it takes more time and yeah, don't go for just like one particular news source that you think might be good That's try right. seeing what <laughs> another news source says try seeing i go from funny or die to chive <laughs> oh god <laughs> to <laughs> barstool sports boing. Yeah. Boing. <laughs> barstool sports exactly so um, I was to think, what's worse than the chive <laughs> <laughs> no don't don't do that <laughs> don't ever go near those sites <laughs> no Anyway, that's, uh, I think... More than enough. (laughs) I think you've gotten more than you ever wanted from us on this particular (laughs) Super Duper Sitches special report. And, uh, yeah, we hope you uh, enjoyed, and um, we will be back in two weeks' time. We're still in kind of the busy, crazy crunch season right now. We're busy being crazy and crunching things. Our abs are going to look dope. (laughs) (laughs) Abs are the most important podcasting muscle. But, yeah. What do you think I'm holding this microphone with? (laughs) (laughs) We will be back in two weeks, probably with a more sort of uh, standard fare. Totally. SDS top. Something fun, something spooky, something you can uh, sink your ears into. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. A feast for the ears. Until then, thanks so much for listening. If you have your own topics, suggestions, or stories of your own you'd like to share. Yeah, uh, Something spooky that happened to you that you want to talk about. We're always, always happy to hear them. Please uh, contact us at contact at superduperstitches.com or get in touch via our various social media. We just got a cool message from some folks on Instagram. So, yeah, <laughs> whenever you want to reach out, do it. We like it. Yeah, we like it so much. It keeps us going. In the meantime, we'll just let friend of the show, Nate, dictate <laughs> <laughs> whatever we do for the next, the next six months. Yeah, exactly. It'll be the Nate special. So, uh, <laughs> anyway. Catch you guys next time. Catch you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.